Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Pleasure to be with you this week. You know, last week we had started the topic of talking about life insurance. And in our conversation last week, we were pointing out some of the challenges to the industry, some of the challenges that people experience, and where that really kind of came about. This week we're going to be talking about, you know, we'll kind of wrap up on challenges, make sure that we get that out of the way, but we're going to be talking about what you should be doing, how do different insurances work, what's the right amounts, and so forth. And so with that in mind, I invited one of my associates and partners over at CNA Financial Group, Rob Pendergrass, Vice President. He's a senior advisor over at CNA. Rob, pleasure to have you back with us this week. Thanks for having me, Frank. Rob's background, he's got a lot of expertise in finance and talking about insurance and educate, educating people about how insurance works. So what we're going to do is just a, a, a quick refresher from last week you know, as we talk about insurance. And we're pointing to the fact that um, there's a few challenges to the industry. So maybe, Rob, you could just take a short period of time and just highlight some of the challenges we just mentioned last week's show. You know, last week, Frank, we got into some of the issues of retention in the industry, uh, reps staying in the business, dealing with people. Uh, they become orphans because uh, 12 out of really 100 people make it past year four. That really creates some deficiencies in the industry uh, with a high turnover rate and all the things that are going on, product development, the companies and how they're producing these products. It creates enormous deficiency. And in sort of buttoning up some of the things we did last week, we talked about needs-based planning and some of the areas that that creates huge, huge gapping, gaping holes for people and how they actually acquire insurance. And really what happens is it really leaves a bad taste in the consumer's mouth. Great point. So with that in mind, you know, it's interesting is, you know, when we think in terms of how much insurance we should have, you know, actuaries, in my opinion, are the ones that over the years came up with there's got to be a, a mathematical calculation to figure out how much insurance. Because I figured it had to be someone along those lines that was very analytical because they, you know, they want to come up with a specific number. But the reality is this. You know, when I think in terms of insurance, if God tapped you on the shoulder today and said that tomorrow you were not going to be here and you've got the next 24 hours to get your affairs in order – you can go buy insurance. You could do all the things that you, you need to do. The question is, would you do that needs-based analysis, you know, and punch in numbers to figure out exactly how much my family needs or they think they need, or what would you do as it relates to it? So, Rob, if I were asking you, what would you have done? You know, if, in fact, Frank, you did get that tap on the shoulder and you had an opportunity to uh, make some of those decisions on a very short-term basis, if someone actually, if a client or a consumer had been through the needs-based process, I'm not sure they'd actually go out and acquire anything. Good point. Where I look at it and I go, I go out and I get as much as I can get because I'd want to make sure that, you know, my family was going to be well taken care of for all those years that I wasn't going to be here to help provide for them. Yeah, and the reason I say that most of the time if someone did realize that they are going to die someday and they had gone through this needs-based planning approach, they would look at their assets, they'd look at where they are in life, and they wouldn't even know how to buy the right amount of insurance. So what you're saying is, is that by having the wrong process in place, I may think that I'm okay when I'm actually not. Yeah, you know, that is such a great point. What's happening is people are tricked, they're fooled into trying to bet against an actuary. 
They try to buy the wrong product, and they try to buy the wrong amount, and they try to become their own actuary and say, well, my investments will perform over the course of my lifetime, and I won't need insurance when I'm older. They make the other calculation and say, you know what, I'm going to bet against the actuary. I'm going to buy term insurance and just outlive it. Hmm, good point. So, you know, with that as our base for this week, why don't we start by really trying to help people to understand what's the right amount of coverage? And before I have any of our listeners kind of even think about that, I'd like them to mentally remove the word cost from the conversation. Because what we tend to do is we tend to always think in terms of, well, I want what I think I can afford. And so what we start to do is we, I call it R&R. We rationalize the ridiculous and we start telling ourselves stories in our head that sometimes aren't true, such as, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money. I can never afford that. Um, I don't want to ruin my kids. And the reality is, is that if you think that insurance proceeds coming into your family when you're not here is going to ruin your kids or it's going to hurt your family in some way, well, your problem is not money and insurance. There's other problems there. And the reality is, is that all of us have an economic value that we provide not only to our families, to the community and to our churches as well. So when you think in terms of the total package of who we are and what we mean to someone, that's our what I call human life value. Yeah, that's a, a, a big topic that you're bringing up, Frank. <clears throat> and one of the things that's important here to discuss is sometimes when I'm dealing with clients, I will ask them a series of two questions to mitigate the conversation of cost. I'll say, well, if life insurance had no cost, how much of it would you own? And they always answer exactly the same way. I'd own as much as I possibly could get. And then I say, well, if it had no cost and you would acquire as much of it as you could, what if you could spend it before you die? How much of it would you have then? And every time I get the same answer. Ironically, it's never correlated to cost because I've asked them to think outside of that cost factor. They always answer. They all answer the same way. So if it's true, if you would acquire as much as you could get if you could spend it or if you could diet without outlaying money, why should the answer be any different? Good point. So when we think in terms of that, an insurance company would never offer us an unlimited amount of insurance. What they're going to do is they're going to do a calculation and the calculation is going to try to assess what our economic capacity is, our human life value. And the way that they would typically do it, if we really think about it, they would look and they would say, well, Rob, you earn $50,000 per year. And then they would do a calculation and they would say, well, how much would we need to have set aside in order to generate that $50,000 a year for your family for some un some period of time, and it should be f until their life expectancy. That's right. There will be a few other factors that go into it, Frank, which is a person's age and a, potentially a person's asset base. But if you just took an average person, let's say 35 years of age, making $50,000 a year, it would be a basic calculation, a multiple of 20 times their earnings. So in order to recreate that $50,000 is how insurance should be acquired initially, and what that really means is someone of that age, 35, making 50 grand a year, should have a million dollars of insurance. Good point. And I know for most people, and I've been doing this over 30 years of providing advice, you know, on all different aspects of finance. And when I meet with people, that is typically never the amount of insurance. 
that they have in their mind that they have in place or that they've even heard of. And the reason being is because they've been through a needs-based analysis where, you know, they were trying to say, well, you know, assuming that, Rob, you're not here, they could live on less. And when we start doing all that discounting, what we're discounting is the fact that life changes and that they may actually need more money as they go forward, not the same or less. Yeah, unfortunately, hindsight is twenty twenty in the world of investments and insurance. And when you start looking at insurance and you say to yourself, well, if I was left a death benefit, I then have to take that in death benefit and go and invest it. If you were to ever ask someone who has left a death benefit behind and ask them to reduce their standard of living because their husband or spouse didn't acquire the right amount of insurance, those are really where we can learn our lessons as to how much insurance we should actually have in force in our lives. You know, as we're discussing this and so forth, because I know that for some of our listeners, that cost factor is creeping in and you're going, yeah, that all sounds great until you got to afford it. The reality is, is that, you know, you could get the right amount of insurance very inexpensively. You could use term insurance. There's any number of coverages you can get. The most important thing about insurance is having the right amount. Yes, that's actually true. And having the ability to acquire the insurance, if you're unhealthy, you can't walk through that gate. So insurance is a very large factor. And if you're unhealthy, then you have a much different problem going on because you actually have to use other investments or other ideas to actually take the place of insurance. You know, it's, and, you know when we talk about this, you know, there's so much that impacts our finances as, as life goes on. I mean, there's technological change that we don't even know what we're going to need in the future, what we're going to want in the future, whatever the case might be. So if I was trying to do an assessment today and I limited my thoughts to just what I know today, that would start to really discount the amounts of insurance I should have. And it really then prevents my family from having the life that they should have. Yeah, you know, Frank, uh, one of the things that goes on, I think, is a, a generational gap that has existed in the insurance world. You know, for example, my grandparents who may have come out of the Great Depression, $100,000 of insurance to them would be absolutely ridiculous in their lifetime. 100000 would have made like all the difference. A lot of money. A yeah. lot of money. As we move forward and you get to my mom and dad's age, they're in there just turning 70. They received their financial information from my grandparents. So 500000 seemed a lot to my parents. Now my generation, time has moved on. A million dollars for a fifty thousand dollar income earner is really the number. Yep, good point. So, first point of today's show is make sure you have the right amount. The right amount typically looks like about twenty times income. As you get a little older, that number will come down, so it'll look more like fifteen times income. And I always say it's, it's no different than if you really looked at it like this, which is if you were driving home today. God forbid that this happens to you and you got into an accident and you weren't able to go home, what would your family sue for? They would sue for your economic value of those lost wages. And they would do the calculation. And that calculation typically would be 15 to 20 times your income is what they would be looking to settle for. And that's how they do the calculation. That's true. That's uh, a lot of attorneys are in the business to help families represent themselves, not because they're bad people, but because they have responsibilities and that person no longer is with us. They're not suing because they're bad people. They're suing because their economic value and insurance wasn't present at their death. Very good. So now we'll spend the rest of our show just talking about the different types that are on the market. Um, and I always say it comes down to 
two types, and then there's all different variations of it. Uh, there's term insurance, which is for a lot of people just coming out of the box, and if I'm on a limited income, term insurance will provide the most amount of coverage today for the least amount of cash flow today. So it's it's the the least expensive way to acquire the amount of coverage that you need for your protection needs that you have today. Fair, fair assumption on that one? Sure. That's one, of the explanation. Book, that's one of the bookends that exist in the industry is that that term insurance bookend sits far, far to the left, and it says it's easy to acquire as long as your health is good, and the amount of outlay is different from the other bookend of insurance. Very good. And just in staying with this, you know, when you think in terms of owning insurance, I always say that make sure you're dealing with a quality company. And the reason being is, as Rob just mentioned, you know, it's going to come down to how healthy you are. And when we talk about how healthy you are is nobody's going to give you insurance unless you are healthy today. The fact, though, is your health can change the day after you get the insurance. And if that occurred, whatever insurance company you're with at that point may be the company and even the policy that you have to live with the rest of your life. So the thought of, well, I'll put something in place or I'll go with a company and then I'll change it down the road when I've got a little bit more money, that's not necessarily true. I've encountered many people over the years that were locked into where they are because they couldn't change. So the quality of carrier matters. It does. Losing your insurability is probably one of the most uh, catastrophic things that could happen in the course of someone's lifetime because what they've lost is the ability to leverage their health against assets that they possess. If they're left with no insurability, they have to rely solely on their assets. And what that creates is economic pressure. Great point. So we're going to go to the opposite end, and we're going to talk about you know, another form of insurance, which is whole life. Whole life is the extreme other side of that. It, it's fully guaranteed. It lasts forever. The downside of it, though, is, is that the cash flow of, of acquiring that early on is higher. That's true. That's very true. Um, it also could be a misnomer in the industry. Um, that happens a lot where you hear that term insurance is cheap and permanent or whole life that you're referring to is expensive. One has a cost, that's term insurance, and one has an outlay, that's called permanent insurance. So we have to be very careful with how we actually talk and discuss the product because the industry has a lot of, done a lot of disservice to not only the reps but the clients that are out there. So in staying with that just for a little bit, um, both are valid points as far as you can have one or the other. A whole life you can keep forever. Um, the difference is the outlay initially to have it. However, it does have cash values. It's got a lot of benefits to go along with it, which makes it more than just insurance. The thing that I'm going to bring up, because we do have limited time on our show, is the fact that there will be people that will say, well, the rate of return on whole life insurance is not very good. And the reality when we talk about the rate of return on it is, is that it's not like you can p compare the cash value of that to a mutual fund or to stocks and say, because that's like comparing apples and oranges. They're not the same. Well, you'd actually be comparing a financial instrument to a financial vehicle or an investment to a financial vehicle. They're completely different. You're, you are comparing apples to oranges, and it's not a fair comparison. And it's also not understood in the industry the true rates of return of insurance. Because there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I'm, I'm, you know, I look at like my situation is like, and I look, and you know, a lot of our clients is that owning that permanent coverage has, got, has a lot of value. You know, one of the things, and because we're all running out of time today, is there are variations between term and whole life. Okay, and 
what happens is, is that every time there's a variation off of that, it has certain assumptions that are taken into place to make it look better. But at the end of the day, most of what's out there, okay, have so many, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz with all the different levers that are in place. And usually what happens is, is that these products usually end up underperforming over long periods of time because the variables are so many in the contracts that they typically end up blowing up where the client doesn't stay in it long enough for it to work. Rob, agreed? I do agree, Frank. Uh, there's an underfunding that goes on because these illustrations have been manipulated, as we've spoken about. And what happens is the client can put in a whole lot less in their mind, but in reality, the products are never going to hold themselves above water. Great point. So as we wrap up this week's show, Rob, thank you for being with us. It's been Rob Pendergast, Vice President over at CNA Financial Group. This is Frank Angelos. You've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. If you have questions, you could write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, or email us at info at IFRW.com. Thank you and have a blessed week.